Ezekiel chapter 34, and if you can, I'll invite you to stand. We're going to read three, three different texts from Ezekiel. Can't move this mic. I'm stuck here. <laughs> so let's go to Ezekiel chapter 34. First of all, uh, let's read, starting verse 20 through 25. The Lord is bringing condemnation upon the leaders, the kings and priests of Israel. And then he brings a word of hope. Starting verse 20, he says, Therefore thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with, with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns, until you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, I the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. And I will make with them a covenant of peace. Now let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36. Starting verse 24. The promise of the Spirit in the new covenant. It says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Now Ezekiel chapter 37, as he continues in developing the promise of the Spirit. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 11 through 14. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares Yahweh. You may be seated. Lord, we cry out to you once again. Help us. Make the words of our last hymn, our prayer, speak, O Lord. And open the ears of your servants so that we may hear. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be clear. Help the congregation to be faithful 
We all here need your help. Strengthen our knees, our legs, so that we may keep journeying till you reach the celestial Zion and the new heavens and the new earth. And as you walk, speak to us, strengthen us. With other churches here in the Salem area, bless your people, bless your flock. Empower your under-shepherds to proclaim your word faithfully. We need your grace, we need your mercy. And we beg these things because of Jesus Christ, our perfect mediator. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you have ever come to, uh, to the living room and to realize that maybe your wife and your kids or your spouse is watching a movie and you get there and the movie is already rolling and you have no clue what's going on, but you're trying to understand and you truly cannot grasp what's going on because you lost a big chunk of that movie. Or think about watching The Return of the King and never reading the previous books or watching the previous movies. And your question is, who is Frodo? Who is this guy Sam? What's up with this ring? Similarly, so many come to the Bible story like that. They come to the New Testament missing a whole junk, a chunk of the story, a major part of the drum of the Scriptures. And no wonder so many Christians are in a very superficial, very confusing life in their Christian journey. They have no understanding of who Jesus is, why He is who He is. And I hope that as we are walking through this overview of the Scriptures, more and more your love and your appreciation for Christ will grow because you can see from beginning to end how He is the hero and the Savior of our drama. So, that's what I want to do today, especially as we are approaching the New Covenant. We are coming to the New Covenant. We have walked through the previous covenants and seen, beholding how these covenants, they all work together. There is this progression in God's plan of redemption as He's bringing this covenant until we come to the New Covenant with Jesus. And today, the plan is, here's the outline, is to bring an introduction to the New Covenant and then you're going to look at the promises of the New Covenant in the Old Testament, especially with the prophets, what the prophets speak about the New Covenant. And then the next time we get together, I will finish the New Covenant. But for today, we're going to look at the introduction to the New Covenant and then the promises of a New Covenant. As we think about approaching the New Covenant, last Lord's Day we stopped at the Davidic Covenant, and you remember the kingdom of Israel is established. Israel, who had been called to be a kingdom of priests, now has a king and a kingdom well established with David and Solomon. But it doesn't take longer. Right after Solomon dies, 
What happens to the kingdom? Split in two, it's divided. You have the northern kingdom, you have the southern kingdom. And it doesn't take long for the northern kingdom to be taken into exile, in captivity by the Assyrians. And some years later, the southern kingdom with Judah being taken to the Babylonians. So the story of the nation of Israel and the Davidic kings follow after the mediator of the first covenant. What is the first covenant? Adam. So Israel and the Davidic kings, they're just following the steps of Adam. They are in exile. That's how we saw the story in Kings ends. Israel with her kings and priests, they break the covenant, and like Adam, Israel goes into exile. Like the beginning of the Bible, the nation that took Adam's role to be a royal priesthood is outside Edom, east of the land in Babylon. That's exactly how the earlier prophets, from Joshua to Kings, that's exactly how the story ends with Babylon. Israel is in Babylon, in exile, darkness. No Davidic king ruling. Actually, it's a Babylonian king ruling. So it's in the midst of this darkness, they start to get a glimpse of light coming as the prophets start announcing that there is something new coming. There is a better covenant to be cut by the Lord. A greater plan. So the new covenant is... Proclaimed primarily during these dark times of exile, as the nation is, the northern kingdom is vanished. The Assyrians take, take them, and then you have the Samaritans, it's just a mixed race. There is no way to regather the northern kingdom because they just became a different type of race. That's why when you, you hear the prophecies about the Lord bringing the house of Judah and the house of Israel, it's a miracle, it's a new people that He's creating. So it's during these dark times that the prophets start announcing a new covenant. But that's not the creation. That's where it's important for us to think that the, the prophets, the exilic, pre-exilic, post-exilic prophets, they are not creating the new covenant. This new covenant has been in the background for a long time. I would say since Genesis 3.15, and especially with Moses, Moses declared in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30, that there would be a better circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. And if you have ears to hear, you know that he's implying a new covenant. If there will be a different type of circumcision, that implies that there will be a new covenant. Another clear passage is Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, so like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It's to him you shall listen. So there is the, the, the promise, or this, this prophecy of a new Moses, a new prophet like Moses. Therefore, the implication is what? Moses is the mediator of a covenant. Therefore, if there will be a new Moses, there will be what? A new covenant. A new prophet like Moses in the sense that he will be a covenant mediator. This new mediator like Moses, he will lead God's people in a new exodus, a new covenant, and a new Torah. 
That's the implication since back in Deuteronomy. So you see that the prophets, when they start announcing a new covenant, that's not just something that they're creating. That has been in the plans of the Lord for a long time. And the new covenant, we call the new, that's the primary, the primary name that we label the new covenant. But actually, just like the Mosaic covenant, it has different names. So we have the everlasting covenant. That's one of the names of the new covenant. The everlasting covenant. That's the most used title in the Old Testament. I believe five times it's used in the Old Testament for the new covenant. You have a covenant of peace. Or a covenant of shalom. You have the new covenant. And sometimes there is no title. It's just the language. The promise of a new heart. The promise of a new spirit. Implying a new covenant. And I will be their God. They will be my people. This language implies that there will be a new covenant. So to understand the, the, the prophets in their announcement of this new covenant, I think it would be good for us to understand the prophetic, the prophets' ministry, how they ministered. And the, a lot of times we think that the prophets, they're just speaking about the future. That's how we, we, we think about the prophets, the prophetic. It's always something in the future. But actually, some scholars believe that 90, 90, 90, 90% of the prophetic body of literature is concerned primarily with the present. They're dealing with present situation in Israel and Judah. So it's not like they're, the prophets are always speaking about the future. No, they're speaking primarily to the present situation. So, the prophets, they behave as interpreters of Israel's present situation, and they serve as God's covenant officials, covenant lawyers prosecuting the Lord's covenantal lawsuit against His unfaithful people. That's why you have so many oracles of woe, woe to you, woe to you, oracles of judgment, because they are declaring, you have broken the covenant, now you're going to pay the price. So much of the prophetic oracles is concerned primarily with the present judgment, the present situation. But the prophets also, when you step, when you step back, you see that the prophets also draw attention to something beautiful that's going to happen in the future. So they not only speak about condemnation and judgment, but they also speak about hope. Something great that the Lord will do. So I like what Duval and Hayes, they write, they say, they say in the midst of the doom and gloom of the coming judgment, the prophets look beyond, beyond the failure of the present human-led kingdom, and they describe a glorious future kingdom ruled by a wonderful and righteous Messiah. This glorious king will restore Israel, but he will also gather the Gentiles to himself as well. Thus, this glorious Messiah will not only answer the problem of Israel's failure to keep the law, but he, he will answer the worldwide problem of sin as described in Genesis 3 through 11. And I think the, the clearest example of this double function of the prophets of speaking judgment and speaking a word of hope and restoration is the prophet Jeremiah. His calling, when the Lord calls the prophet Jeremiah, he's the emblem of the prophetic office. So the Lord tells Jeremiah when he calls him in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10. He says, See, behold, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdom to do what? He has four verbs there. To pluck, 
to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow. These first four, four verbs refer to what? Judgment. Judgment. And not only that, but to build and to plant. So those are words of restoration. And that's how the prophets work. They have the, bid, the bad news of exile, the bad news that the Lord is judging them and removing them from His presence. But there is also the good news that the Lord will restore His people one day. He will bring them back through a better exodus, to a better place. And certainly the most famous passage concerning the new covenant is Jeremiah chapter 31. And here we see, uh, as Jeremiah is describing this new covenant, he says, Behold, the days are coming. That's a very important expression, the days are coming. Similar to the last days, the days are coming. When the, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Remember, there is no house of Israel. So that's a, it's going to be a, a new people that he's making. And then Jeremiah continues and he talks about different elements of the new covenant. He says, I will put my law within their hearts. I will be their God, they shall be my people. They all will know me. That's a different aspect. They all will know me. I will forgive their iniquity. So those are all elements of the new covenant. And that's important because different prophets, they bring different elements to the new covenant. So as you put together, as you get all this information of the prophets speaking about this everlasting covenant, this covenant of peace, the new covenant, you see that they put together some, some elements very important here. There will be a new exodus. This new exodus will be led by a new David. This new exodus will be a resurrection. The presence of God will be manifest through His Spirit. There will be a universal Zion and basically and fundamental, a new creation. That's the elements of the new covenant as you put them together. That's what the prophet... There are other elements, but for sake of time and brevity, I'm putting these ones here that I want to work with you today. A new exodus, a new David, a resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a different, a new people. Those are all the things that the prophets are speaking about the New Covenant. And if you come to the New Testament without knowledge of these things, the New Testament will be very superficial. You have no idea what's going on if you don't understand that the Lord promised that when this new David comes, He's going to bring a new exodus. The whole opening of the Gospels is Jesus bringing the new exodus. He is the son of David. He is this Davidic king. Resurrection. There will be a resurrection. What is regeneration? What is the doctrine of regeneration? It's a resurrection. It's just like you're born again. You're dead and you need new life. That's all flowing from the prophetic body of writings. The Holy Spirit. What is, why the Holy Spirit? Oh, because they promise that the Holy Spirit will come to bring the new creation. So, let's move to the first the first element and that is the promise of a new exodus to understand the new covenant you, you need to understand think about the f the first exodus you have the exodus the exodus leads to the covenant that leads to god's presence do you remember exodus or redemption covenant mount sinai god's presence with the tabernacle this pattern will be followed under the new covenant 
a new exodus, a new covenant, and a new dwelling of God. So, the first is the promise of a new exodus. You read the prophets, especially Isaiah, it's just overflowing with language of a new exodus. There will be a better deliverance following the pattern of the first exodus under Moses. And probably one of the most relevant passages is Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 16. The prophet says in Jeremiah chapter 16, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when it shall no longer be said, Oh, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. That's the first exodus. But... As the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of the countries where He had driven them. For I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. Remember, Jesus sends the disciples as fisher of men. The new exodus, the better exodus taking place. Rescuing people from exile. And then you have the promise there. Therefore, behold, I will make them know that I will make them know this once. I will make them know my power and my might, just like in the first Exodus, the revelation of God's character, His power. And they shall know that my name is the Lord. So, as you think about the prophets developing this theme of a new Exodus leading to the new covenant, as they are talking about this new Exodus, in the first Exodus, there people who were not from Israel. Do you remember that? There were some foreigners who went with Israel in the Exodus. And the prophets developed that, saying that there will be a massive ingathering of Gentiles through this new Exodus. So, for example, Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 2, he says, up, up. And then that's the call. Get up, let's go. There will be a new Exodus. Just like Israel. Up, be ready. Flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heavens, declares Yahweh. Up! Escape to Zion. Look at that. That's Exodus. Escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. And then he continues in verse 10 and 11. Look at this Exodus. Start gathering more people. He says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares Yahweh. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. If you're taking notes, you can write Zechariah 8. But you start seeing how the Lord, through this new exodus, is going to bring Gentiles. And that's what the Jews in the first century, and even today, they don't understand, is the ingathering of these Gentiles forming this one new, greater Israel under the new covenant. Uh, you can tr- turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah 19, Isaiah chapter 19, and that's a jaw-dropping prophecy here. In Isaiah 19, verses 16 through 25, you have Egypt, Assyria, and Israel blessed. And the language that Isaiah used here is of a new exodus. 
And now what is amazing about this Exodus is that Egypt is the one departing. Well, wait a second. I thought the Exodus was out of Egypt. But here, there is a, a difference. Egypt is the one in the Exodus. So he says, look at verse 23. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria. Those are the massive, the, the greatest powers in the ancient world representing the Gentiles. And the Egyptians, look at that, and Assyrians will come into Egypt, and G Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. That's covenantal language, my people. And the Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. You see how beautiful it is. This new exodus will be with God's people. Oh, the exile of the nations in Genesis 11. Everybody, everybody dispersed. And now the Lord is bringing His people into this exodus, into His holy abode, into His house. That's the... the no wonder you start the... Mark's Gospel. Mark opens quoting Isaiah and Malachi, implying that the beginning of the ministry of Jesus is the fulfillment of this exodus, the end of the exile. All the Gospels, the main picture is Jesus bringing people out of the exile, out of death. So, very important element of the new covenant, this new exodus, a better exodus. But this exodus will not be led by Moses. Actually, this new exodus will be led by whom? A Davidic king, a son of David. That's fascinating. The new Moses of the second exodus will be a new David. And you can turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. And that's where you start seeing this. There is a, a great number of prophecies speaking of the Messiah as a new David, as a new Davidic king. Isaiah 11, for example, on the root of Jesse. Remember, the kings are buried as if they're dead, but the Lord will bring the son of David to rule. So in Ezekiel chapter 34, you see the Lord is prophesying against the shepherds of Israel, and He's bringing a word of condemnation and judgment upon the kings and upon the priests. And then suddenly the Lord changes, and He starts referring to Himself coming to rescue His sheep. Look at verse 11. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them. And he keeps this emphasis. I, I, I. As if Yahweh is coming. But wait a second. And suddenly, he changes and he says that he will place David to shepherd his people. Ah. I thought that was Yahweh 
Is that Yahweh or is it David? So the prophets are already showing, giving some idea that this David will be very different from the first David. When Ezekiel used the, the, the image of shepherd, you know that the first time that the Lord is called a shepherd is in Exodus chapter 15. As they are singing the song of the Exodus, the song of Moses, Yahweh is described as a shepherd leading his people, guiding his people. So you look in Ezekiel chapter 34, look at verse 23. And now you set up over them one shepherd. Wait a second, is that Yahweh the shepherd? My servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. We start seeing that this new covenant will have a new David, a better David, a greater David. Similarly, Micah chapter 5 declares that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Who is from Bethlehem? David. Amos chapter 9, the Lord promises that He will restore the, the booth, the tent, the dynasty of David. That implies that there must be a new David. And the New Testament, in Acts chapter 15, they applied that to the whole church. Fascinating Isaiah, Isaiah 7 through 11. You see the Lord promising a new David. He will be born from a virgin woman. The seed of the woman. Isn't that fascinating? It's not, the seed is always related to the man. But suddenly it will be the seed of a woman. Why? It will be a virgin birth. Seed is always related to the man. Seed genealogies. The genealogy is always the man. The son of. The Lord promised the seed of a woman. Wait a second. How, how, how can that be a seed of a woman? The woman doesn't carry the seed. So since the beginning, there is this understanding that would be through a virgin birth. And we see in Isaiah chapter 7, the Lord promising that. That the virgin would bear this son. He would be called Emmanuel. What is the meaning of Emmanuel? God with us. And then the son of David will come as the prince of peace. In chapter 9. And then in chapter 11 of Isaiah, he will be the shoot from the stump of Jesse. And will be filled with the spirit of Yahweh to accomplish the new exodus. That's Isaiah 11. So, Morales, he says, in summary, the new Moses of the new exodus will be a new David. He will reunite the northern and the southern kingdoms, restoring them to the praise of Yahweh's name. Through the new David, Israel will fulfill its vocation of bringing the blessings of restoration to the nations. For the Gentiles will be gathered to Yahweh under the reign of His firstborn Son, the Son of David, the Messiah. So there is the promise. As you think about the new covenant, it's inseparable from this new David who will come. And that's why Jesus, remember blind Bartimaeus, how does he call Jesus? Have mercy on me, son of David, son of David. He knows that that's the king that they were expecting. Uh, another important aspect of the Davidic, this new David, is that he's also called the servant of the Lord. So especially in Isaiah, he's labeled as the servant of the Lord. And if you know Isaiah, Isaiah 53, who is the main character there suffering for his people? 
How is he called? The servant. The slave of Yahweh. The servant. And he is the Davidic king. So, you start seeing how this servant, just like David. David, if you read the, the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 7, right after the covenant, David keeps referring to himself as the servant of the Lord. How can you, O Lord, speak these words to your servant, to your servant, to your servant? And then you start seeing, as you're putting these things together, this Davidic king, this new David that will come, he will triumph as a suffering servant. He will conquer through suffering and death. Another element of the new covenant that's promised in the prophetic writings is the resurrection. There will be a resurrection. And we need to understand that death in the Bible... The, the first meaning of death is not physical death, but it's spiritual death. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they died. They died spiritually. That's why they are ashamed and hiding from God. And as a consequence, God expels them from their presence. Exile. Death, the primary meaning of death is exile from God's presence. Our bodies decay, showing that we are far away from God, who is the source of all life. So, Morales, he says, To be in exile from the self-existing Creator and the, sor the source of all life is truly to be in a condition of death. It eternal exile from God is death in all its horrid fullness of darkness and despair. Israel's exile from Yahweh was a sort of death, a theological and a spiritual death, so that Israel's restoration to God would be nothing short of a resurrection from the dead. And that's why the new covenant brings people into life. Why? Because the new covenant brings the members of the covenant into the presence of God. And there is life, there is fullness of life, fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord. So, Hosea, for example, he says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up. That what? That, what is the purpose? What is the purpose? That we may live before His face. That's the goal of resurrection. Right here. And the picture is that Israel is dead in sins, but after, on the third day, the Lord will raise them up, bring them into His presence, so they may have life. And guess who was raised on the third day? He is the representative of Israel. So that's no wonder the New Testament see the, this prophecy as applying to Jesus, according to the Scriptures, He was supposed to be raised on the third day, right here in Hosea. Jesus, who represents His people, is raised on the third day, bringing the exodus from death to life. Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 36 and 37. Ezekiel 37 is one of the most well-known chapters about resurrection in the Old Testament, in, in reference to coming out of the exile. What is... 
Ezekiel chapter 37. Yes, the valley of dry bones. Valley. It's not the mountain of the Lord, it's the valley of death. And what does the Lord do? He promised He will bring them into His presence. There will be life. It's a resurrection. They're all dead and the Lord brings life and He brings life through what? His Spirit. His Word. Speak to the dry bones, Ezekiel. Speak the Word and the Spirit together. Bringing life. A resurrection. So, the New Testament speaks of a new birth, a spiritual resurrection in, in Christ and through the Spirit of Christ, we receive the resurrection promise in the Old Testament. The greater exodus from the exile of death. Amen? Do you understand? When Paul says, we have been raised with Christ. We are raised with Christ Jesus. What does he mean? He's bringing all this theology of the the promises of the new covenant now fulfilled in Christ. And we are a new creation, a new life in Christ Jesus. There is the promise of a new people. The promise of a new people under the new covenant. We saw that in in Zechariah chapter 2. The new exodus of the new covenant will bring a people from all the nations, all the tribes, thus fulfilling the previous covenant, especially the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant, where Abraham is called to be a blessing to the nations. Okay, Isaiah chapter 66, he says, And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and mules and on dromedaries. To my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. The Gentiles coming and becoming a kingdom of priests. You see, that's impossible. They could never be a Levites. Gentiles, they can't. That's why it's something completely new that the Lord is making here. And these new people, it's a new people because all the members of the new covenant will know the Lord. That's what Jeremiah says. It's a new covenant because in this new covenant, all the members of the covenant know the Lord. They all, from the least, the poorest, the weakest, to the greatest, the rich, the strong, all the members of the covenant will know the Lord. You see, under the old covenant, especially with Israel and Abraham, there were people who were part of that covenant that never, never knew the Lord. They had a relationship of love and and covenant with the Lord. And that's the great difference with the new covenant. Is that all the members of the new covenant, they know the Lord. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we don't baptize little infants in this church. Because we believe in the change of the covenant. There is a drastic change. That's why I don't treat my kids as kids of the covenant. They're not. They don't know the Lord. I pray and I preach and I try to live God's life that they will know the Lord. But they don't know the Lord unless the Lord brings the work of resurrection from death. Regeneration. There are so many Christians, sadly, 
embracing the idea that the little ones are all part of the covenant. Do they have their sins forgiven? In Christ? Have they embraced Christ Jesus as their Savior? You see, we pray, we pray, we preach. But unless the Lord rescues them, Jesus is very clear, it's not by natural birth that they become children of God. It's by spiritual birth. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we see that these new people, in verses 15 through 18, as, as Ezekiel used this uh, metaphor of a stick, the two sticks coming together, he promised that these new people will be united. God's people under the new covenant will be united. Why? Under the old covenant, what happened right after Solomon dies? All divided. But in the new covenant, the people will be united. That's why, brothers and sisters, the New Testament letters emphasize over and over and over again what? The importance of unity in the local church. If there's somebody bringing division in the local church, what does Paul say? Avoid, avoid this person. That's why unity is so crucial in the life of the local church because it shows that these people are the new people of God living under the, the new covenant. And finally, the promise of God's presence in a new way. The ultimate goal, the ultimate goal of the covenant is to bring people into a relationship uh, face-to-face relationship with God, dwelling with God. And that's part of the new covenant. As I said, the, the new covenant is called the covenant of peace. Why is it called the covenant of peace? You see, we are so selfish that we think that peace is all about how I feel. Oh, I'm feeling peace about that, so that's great. You see, the Bible, that's not the, the meaning of peace and shalom. Shalom is primarily a relationship between man and God. That's how it was in Eden before the fall. There was shalom, harmony, lack of hostility between God and man. That's why the new covenant is called the covenant of peace. Why? Because shalom is restored now. Man and God dwelling together again. The presence of God is described in different ways under the new covenant. You have a new Zion, you have a new temple. But I just want to emphasize two here. One is through the Davidic servant, and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, the promise of God's presence in a new way through this Davidic king. So, the Lord says, and I will set up over them, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23 through 25. I, I mentioned that earlier, but it's important for us to see again. And I will set up over them one shepherd, the servant David. And he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace. Jesus, in John chapter 10, what does He say? I am what? The good shepherd. Guess where He's taking people back to? 
Ezekiel chapter 34. I am the leader of Israel who will take care of the sheep, not you guys. And I am God. And they understood what he was saying, that they want to kill Jesus for blasphemy in John chapter 10. Jesus applies Ezekiel chapter 34 to himself saying, Here is the God-man who will be the shepherd of God's people. So you see there, and there is other prophecies, especially in Isaiah, in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, how this new Davidic king will be different. He will be fully man and fully God. So God's presence will be manifested through under the new covenant. A man who is God. And that's what we see with Jesus Christ. Fully man and fully God. And also, the, the second aspect of God's presence under the new covenant is through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God's presence will be manifested through not the sprinkling of the Spirit like in the Old Covenant. Remember, under the Old Covenant, there was the sprinkling of the Holy Spirit. So, just the kings could experience the power of the Spirit as they are exercising their function. That's why David says, Take now that your Holy Spirit from me, like you did with Saul. I want to continue to be a king under your kingship. So, the, the, the Holy Spirit was very limited. And the, under the new covenant, no. All the members will receive and experience God's presence. So you had the kings, you had the priests who could experience God's presence in a very unique way, but not under the new covenant. All the members will be able to experience that. So, much more could be said. For lack of time, we stop right there. Joel also, Joel chapter 2, he speaks about all God's people. Young, old, poor, rich, receiving the Holy Spirit. Isaiah speaks about the Holy Spirit coming too. So, let me finish. And I just want to finish bringing an illustration from Isaiah himself, how all these covenants, they come together and they bring into fulfillment in this person of this Davidic servant and king, and if you open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, and, and we are going to finish here. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is the beginning of a new section in the book of Isaiah. And you see the chapters 37 through 39. It's a 36 through 39 is historical. It's, it's history. It's just like kings or chronicles. It's a narrative. And then you start, you start in chapter 40, you have something new taking place here. And even how it starts, that's the, the book of consolation, they call it. That's the part of the consolation that Isaiah is bringing. As they are in exile, there will be a new exodus. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then he goes on just with the language of the Exodus as God is coming as a shepherd and he will bring his people out of the Exodus and he will bring them just like a shepherd carries the lamb on his arms. That's the picture that Isaiah starts to develop here. And look at verse 9. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of what? 
Good news. Ah, you see how good news does not start in the Gospels? That's what Gospel means, good news. It's in Isaiah. A new exodus. The Gospels mean that the exodus is taking place with Jesus. Exile is over. That's why it's called good news. Taken from Isaiah. And then he continues developing. You can go to chapter 49 of Isaiah. So from chapter 49 to 52, you have the anticipation of this new exodus through the servant. The servant who will come. And then in chapter 51, chapter 51, okay, verses, I can go even, chapter 51 here, Isaiah. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were taken and the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. That's Abrahamic covenant. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply. For the Lord comforts Zion. Look at Zion now. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like what? Eden, referring to Adam, Adamic covenant. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. And then, in verses 9, chapter 51, he starts talking about the arm of the Lord, the mighty arm of the Lord. Just like in Exodus. That's where we hear about the arm of the Lord bringing His people out of Exile from Egypt. Awake, awake, put on my strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old. What days of old is that? The first Exodus. As in the generation of long ago, was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, referring to Egypt? Who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea and the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea away for the redeemed to pass over? Huh? The arm of the Lord being raised. Good news. The Lord will act. He will bring an exodus. He will bring His people into His holy abode once again. And then there is the expectation. Chapter 51. That the Lord will bring His arm and rescue His people. Look at chapter 52. Chapter 52 of Isaiah. That's the pinnacle of the expectation. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings... what? Gospel, good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And he continues, break forth together to sing, you waste place of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And we are just expecting... The arm of the Lord is raised. We are going to see the salvation. But ends chapter 52 and you're waiting. Why? It leads to chapter, the end of chapter 52 to the beginning of chapter 53. And then in chapter 53, what do you have there? The great, the great text about the Messiah. And then he says, 
Who has believed, chapter 53, who has has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has what? The arm of the Lord being revealed. And now we start to see that this arm of the Lord is actually whom? The suffering servant, the Davidic king. He is the arm of the Lord who will bring his people out of captivity and exile. So, chapter 53 in Isaiah, we read about the suffering servant bringing the exodus. He becomes the Passover lamb who brings this new exodus. So, in chapter, in verse 5, look at chapter 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? What? Why is the new covenant called the covenant of peace? Because of the sacrifice of the Lamb that now is bringing God's people back to His presence to reconcile them to one another. So we have the chapter 53. is the inauguration of the covenant through the death of this Davidic servant king who is the Passover Lamb. And he dies and the many, many will be brought into God's presence. And no wonder, look at chapter 54 of Isaiah. Look at the fruit of the, the chapter 53. Single barren one who did not bear, break forth into sing and cry aloud, you who have not been labor. Who was the famous barren one in the Old Testament? Sarah. Abrahamic covenant. And then he moves from the Abrahamic covenant. He talks about the Mosaic covenant. He talks about a deserted woman. A woman who was abandoned. Who is there? The Mosaic Covenant. Israel. And then he moves and he talks about a city. And that's Zion. So you see here, as, the, as Isaiah is putting together the work of the, ser- the suffering servant, he's bringing all the fulfillment of the previous covenant. And that's why you better sing. Sing for joy. Because the exile is over. The new exodus has come and leads to chapter 55, as we saw last Sunday. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Oh, come. The invitation, why? The new covenant is open, has been inaugurated. And now all the Gentiles are called to come because of, you remember chapter 55, verse 3, because of the chesed of David, what David performed, this new David in Isaiah 53. And then in chapter 56 of Isaiah, what do we have as the result of chapter 53? What do we have in chapter 56? So, what? Gentiles. Salvation to the Gentiles. And that's the pattern we see. And that's why the New Testament applies that to the New Covenant with Jesus. So we see these beautiful pictures as the suffering servant, the Davidic king, he becomes the arm of the Lord who through his own suffering and death, he brings God's people out of the exile of sin and death and brings them into his holy place. So we come to the New Testament and Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. I am the Davidic king who will bring God's people out of exile. And that's exactly what he does. As he's dying, as he's been poured out, he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. And then once he ascends into the holy Mount Zion, who shall ascend? But he ascends into the holy Mount Zion. What does he send after he ascends? 
the Holy Spirit to bring the resurrection of all God's people. And that's what we see in the book of Acts taking place. People from all nations now coming and worshiping the Lord under the new covenant. Amen? So we sing. We sing with joy. Sing, O barren one. Shout for joy. Because of chapter 53. Amen? Father, we thank you for your love and your care towards us. Thank you for your beautiful, magnificent, wonderful plan of redemption revealed through different covenants. We thank you for your wisdom and your grace in revealing to us. Lord, I pray for those here who are in exile from your presence. There are people here who are far away from your presence. They are in exile. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring a, a work of resurrection. Bring them out of the tomb of sin, the grave of death, under, under the leading of King Jesus by the power of your Spirit. And help them, enable them to come to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, to the table of the Lord and enjoy Him and delight in Him. And help us grow our love for you, Lord. Help us to be more and more faithful towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.